Hi there. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Peter Bell, and I'm the founder and CTO at CTO Connection, the premier community for senior engineering leaders. Welcome to the first ever Short Byte, an interview series where senior engineering leaders share their hard-won wisdom on building and managing engineering teams in just 30 minutes. We record this in front of a live online audience and then also offer it as a video and as a podcast at podcast.ctlconnection.com. And it's a great way of learning lessons from the trenches, and it only takes a Pomodoro of your time. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. AWS is our global partner and Code Climate is our sustaining partner. And without them, we couldn't afford to create any of these resources for the community. So AWS, Code Climate, thank you so much. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Kat Miller. For those of you who don't know her yet, Kat is VP of Engineering at Flatiron Health. And we're going to be discussing why culture work is part of a developer's job. At Flatiron Health, the team thinks that getting ICs, individual contributors to invest in the team culture is so important, they've built it into their career ladder. So I'll be asking Kat why culture work, from onboarding and mentoring to planning hackathons and running socials, is everyone's job, and how it's helped her to build a cohesive and inclusive culture despite explosive growth of her engineering org. Kat, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks. I'm glad to be here, Peter. I'm excited to be the first. You you are. So uh, apologies for, for any technical or other issues. If there are any problems, it's all my fault. <laughs> so Kat, there are a lot of things you can get away with when you have like a small or a slow growing team, right? You've got five engineers and you've been working together for the last eight years. You don't necessarily have to bring the same precision and attention to, to building things right. But I don't think that really describes engineering at Flatiron Health. Uh, just to provide us a bit of context, how fast has your organization been growing over the last few years? Yeah, so, you know, a, a slow rate of only about doubling every year for four or five years, <laughs> nothing nothing too crazy. Yeah, we, we had, we had a, you know, I'd say four or five years of hyper growth where we really were um, doubling. And, and in the last year or so, we've, we've leveled off a little bit to, to more like a 10 or 20%, like, a, like an organic growth. Um, but we had quite quite a growth spike there for a while. That, that's insane. And then culture, it, it feels like one of these words that is so used and abused and misused. Do you, what is culture even mean to you? Yeah, it's it's a great question. It's such a it's such a meaningless word or a catch-all word. Um, the way we've we've kind of chosen to define it, and I think we've gone through iterations on this, is um, one way you can think about it is is all the glue that is needed to make a, a company run. So all the things that are not writing code uh, that make your organization successful. Um, a, a more formal way we've defined it is all the things that are not part of someone's job. So if you were to, to define like the, the rec for what it means to be an IC engineer on a scrum team, um, culture is the things that come outside of that strict spec that are still valuable and meaningful to the organization. And, and that covers kind of a wide range of things. Got it. So yeah, so let's dig into that. When you, when you talk about culture work, what would be some examples of things that you've seen your team doing that you would classify as culture work? There's a there's a huge wide range of things. So so this goes all the way from I think recruiting is a really obvious one. So things like interviewing, um, but also we have engineers who own our question bank and thinking through new questions, and we have engineers who do training. So so that's kind of additional recruiting work. Uh, 
we onboarded, as, as you mentioned, a lot of humans over a period of time. And so there was a significant amount of work that went into uh, getting those humans to be successful. So we did um, boot camping sessions and training sessions and mentoring for those new humans. Um, that was a chunk of work. There's other things that are a little bit maybe more random. So running hackathon uh, takes a lot of effort and, and that's a few humans. Um, we have a blog, uh, someone needs to edit and, and curate that content. Um, and we have other things too, like um, we have a partnership with ScriptEd where we have um, students from ScriptEd come, well, used to be in, in the olden times, uh, come to our office, I think it was every week or every other week. And that was a program that was spearheaded um, by an engineer who thought that we should get involved. So uh, it really runs the gambit from you know, things that are kind of uh, expected, stable things that you expect in an organization to, you know, nice to haves or or um, really fun things that are additive to, to our environment. Got it. Makes sense. Now, a number of the things you've described, I've seen at some companies, that's almost the definition of a manager's job, right? These are some of the things that managers and maybe some directors would take on. What do you think some of the benefits are of making the culture work everyone's job because historically there's always been this thing about like well we want to ensure that our programmers can actually write code and how do you balance that thought between that the what are the benefits of programmers doing culture work and is there a downside that that can potentially get between them and actually writing code yeah, and, and I will say that we do um, certainly expect, you know, more culture work and it's part of the job for our, you know, directors and senior directors and VPs, obviously. So, you know, am I responsible for us having a good career letter? Yes, that is not additive. That is just my job, right? Um, but but I think that there's a couple benefits. So um, one benefit is you get the value of the creativity and experience of every single one of your employees and not just the managers. So. There are so many things that I would not have thought of, or even that I just didn't have the energy for. So just a tactical example, we're rolling out a code review interview. Um, you know, I think there's lots of things you can, you can argue about how you interview people. Um, but we've thought for a long time, maybe we should have something that's a little bit more code review-y, something that, that matches work a little bit more, um, a little bit better than writing on a whiteboard. And that was not something I had the energy to take on. There was no way that I was going to, you know, figure out what the kit was, train people, go through a pilot phase, work with recruiting. Like that's a lot of work, and I just didn't. I didn't have the bandwidth, the, the interest, and the fact that someone else could take it on um, made it possible. Whereas, whereas the bandwidth was not there for me. So I think like getting the value of every human is one thing there. I think another maybe understated value is is giving the ownership back to each individual. So. I think this is just huge. You tell everyone you are accountable and you have the power to change this organization. So if there is something that you think we should be doing that we are not, put together a proposal, like get, you know, get senior buy-in and then just run with it. I think that's a really powerful statement to tell everyone that, that they should be owning and changing the culture for the better. That makes a lot of sense. And I had a similar experience. I was building an online instructional team at Flatiron, the other Flatiron, Flatiron School, <laughs> yeah. uh, the boot camp. And I realized we were supposed to do this. It was remote first. I hadn't built as big an org as this before. And I'm like, I don't know what, I know we need to meet up every two weeks, but I have no idea what we should do. So I basically just told the team, okay, we're going to meet up for an hour every two weeks. And we're either going to sit there 
and stare at each other, or we're going to do whatever you come up with, because I got no good ideas. And it was great. We ended up doing Disney trivia and uh, keep talking and nobody explodes. And like the whole team was introducing me to all these things that, that I'd never come across. But I also noticed it felt like it changed the dynamic and the autonomy within the team, rather than from me telling them what to do, to them saying, hey, you give us the guide rails and we'll figure out the details. And, and that was was a really, really great experience. Did you have an experience like, did you always know this or was this something that you learned at some point in your in your career? You know, I, I think it's something I've learned in my career and not specifically just about culture work, but a thing I've seen over the past six years at Flatiron is whenever I'm stuck and I feel like it's my job to get a solution because I'm the leader, but I can't figure it out and I toss it back to my directs or, or just everyone in my org, you know, my, my PMs, whoever for help. I, I can't recall a time I've been disappointed at the amazing response and help I've gotten back, right? When you are owning the problem and you're failing at, at it, you know, that generates a certain dynamic and a certain frustration. And if you open up and say, here's what I'm trying to do, here's what I'd like to accomplish, here's my stumbling blocks or why it's not working for me, and you ask for help, suddenly everyone's involved and they both see the problems with something maybe they thought was an easy solution. Um, but again, they, they bring their creativity to bear and you can get some great, great solutions. So it's something that I didn't always know, um, but it's something that I think is just incredibly true in leadership in general. Do you find yourself coaching that into some of your managers or directors as well in terms of helping them when they kind of get a little micromanagey and become the bottleneck? Well, I think a key co coaching question when you're coaching a direct who has, you know, who has another report is, uh, you know, you ask your direct, well, what, what do they think about it? You know, how would they want to solve this problem? Um, you know, you're, you're thinking through like a challenging org, org situation. I'm going to have a human who's going to have to manage 11 people and that's not going to be sustainable. Like, how do I solve that? Well, maybe instead of solving it for the person, we could engage the person who's going to be in that situation. And, and, you know, maybe that comes to nothing, but there's usually very little harm in kind of getting them bought in and, and helping to solve that. And I feel like sometimes that's the hardest thing for especially engineers transitioning into leadership, because as an engineer, it's kind of your job to solve the problem, right? Oh, there's something wrong with, with Cassandra. Let, let's go figure it out. Whereas once you move into management, moving into that role of, I know the answer. Shh, don't tell. It's actually, have you found any any other ways that, that kind of help your team to, to do a better job of getting better at that, building that muscle? Well, I think the greatest gift to an engineering manager or director is to not know how to do something. Um, so, you know, I'm probably a better... Uh, a, a better manager, a better director of, of uh, infrastructure teams because I need them to explain everything to me. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, so tell me what buttons you would click in AWS for this. Like, I, you know, I really don't have the, the grounding in that. I have, I mean, I'm an engineer, I know the basics, but, um, and, but that means that I have no impulse to micromanage. Uh, but, you know, and I think you have to balance that with, with the accountability part, right? I still need them I still needs to make sense to me at the end of the day. They need to describe something to me in a way that I can follow it and say, okay, but the way you just said that makes me think that this doesn't need to be a two month project. So like, can you explain more? Um, but, but I think that actually the biggest way to get over this hump is to manage or be responsible for something where you do not have all the answers um, because it really gets you in the habit of relying on, on how amazing other people are. Makes a lot of sense. To bring it back to culture work, I understand that's so important at Flatiron. You've actually added it to your career ladder. What does that look like? 
It's gone through a couple iterations, but it's been there since the early days. Um, the current iteration, um, it's literally as part of our performance review process, there's, you know, you gather feedback and you have a written thing like, like most people do. Um, and it is literally one of the things that we evaluate and, you know, write up as part of that. So um, we have kind of, we call sort of three buckets of contribution, if you will, or, or I guess four, if you include insufficient contribution. So, um, so sort of a contributor level of culture work is basically kind of being a little bit of a worker bee, helping out with the things that need hands. So um, this is like being a mentor to new, to new folks coming in. Um, back when we went places, at one point we needed to load folks onto buses in the morning and someone kind of had to monitor the buses and you know, do a checklist. And uh, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that we need help for. So there's kind of always a lot of tasks that need hands and, and uh, contributor level is sort of saying like, you are doing well kind of helping out with those tasks. Um, and one parenthetical I have to say is that uh, probably everyone's had the experience of saying, so who wants to volunteer for dot, 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 and having a room of blank stairs? <laughs> uh, you know, we don't get that because everyone's looking for the opportunity to kind of check that box. Um, and so actually, it's an amazing feeling to be like, who wants to get up at six in the morning and monitor buses <laughs> and like 10 people raise their hand? Um, so that is nice as well. So, so there's sort of the like, you know, keep the, keep the glue going level. Um, and then we have um, a level we call bar raiser, and that's kind of take something and make it your own. So maybe you didn't invent that we should have hackathon, but you you really took it and you saw there were some problems and you innovated on it, and now it's a better product at the end of the day. Maybe that's that's a bar raiser thing. Um, and then we have a level called influencer, which is really like you do so much work that you change the direction of, of Flatiron. So um, maybe you were the first person to say we should have a hackathon, or maybe you're the person who, you know, when our recruiting went from doubling to 10% said, okay, we need to overhaul like, you know, our recruiting process or our onboarding process. Um, so we kind of bucket it according to, to, to that. Um, like any ladder system, it is imperfect. Um, I'm sure we'll iterate and, and then probably two years I'll be talking to you and be like, I can't believe we did that. We have something totally different now. Um, but we really just kind of quantify the contribution that someone has had. And most importantly, like literally write it down and say like, this is how we assess, you know, what you've been doing. Um, and I think that that act of writing it down is really powerful. That makes sense. Now, how does this differ between, say, an individual contributor or a manager or a director where some of the culture work, as you mentioned before, really is already their job? Yeah. So I think this is part of why we've chosen to define it as um, culture work being outside of the normal scope of your job. So um, if you're a manager, your team is your job. So for example, I think a lot of people when the pandemic hit were trying to figure out uh, how do I keep my team engaged? How do I do activities? And you know, making sure that your team socializes enough to be a cohesive unit is actually manager's job. So you know, that I would say comes under other parts of the ladder for, for manager. Whereas you know, if one of the ICs on the team is looking around and saying, you know, I, you know, I feel like we're not connected, like we could really do more, and proposes and follows through on you know, we should all play among us together. And, you know, by lying to each other, we'll get closer or, or whatever their, their solution is, you know, follows through. And if it, if it has an impact, then I would say that is now a cultural contribution. And it gets more as your director, right? I mentioned that I think effectively VPs can't have cultural contributions because culture is, is our jobs. Um, and I think the, the more you get up the ladder, the more, the bigger the percentage of your job really is like, you know, keeping the trains running, um, you know, making sure that people are getting perfect reviews and, and things like that. Um, so it definitely varies based on scope. But once you're kind of going outside your scope, um, 
you know, I think that's pretty clearly something that, that, um, that starts to become a cultural contribution. That makes sense. And then, so, so you've talked a little bit about how you do the, the coach work thing and how you, how you support that. What does it buy you as a company at Flatten? Like, why do you bother doing it at all? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's a, there's a, a couple, a couple things here. So, you know, I think the, maybe the most basic one is that it reduces friction to get things done. So I mentioned, you know, when we want to have an offsite and we can get people on buses, like that's easier. Um, you know, recruiting, we used to have uh, people doing four interviews a week, um, which is a lot. Um, so I think there, you know, one answer is there are things that have to happen and this gives us a framework to make those things happen. Um, a second thing I would say is fairness. So in the US, at a lot of companies, this type of culture work gets taken on disproportionately by certain types of people. Um, typically, you know, women and underrepresented groups end up actually taking on a disproportionate amount. Um, that may still happen at Flatiron because we don't, for, you know, not everyone is forced to do, you know, the maximum amount. And maybe we do have disproportionate representation in the people who are really engaged, but everyone does their share. And I think that's actually really important to say, hey, you don't get to lean on other people. It's everyone's responsibility to make the wheels turn here. Um, so, I, you know, I think that's a really important um, element of inclusiveness. Um, and then the last thing is like, I guess it, it makes Flatiron a better place to work, right? So, so we get stickiness out of it. Um, you know, I think everyone's probably had the experience of being a leader and, you know, hearing your people, like the things they're complaining about, right? And it, it changes, you know, day to day and week to week, but your answer can't constantly be, oh no, we can't do that. Or I don't have time for that. Or like, no, we can't have a conference policy. No, you like, you know, no, you can't, um, you know, have, bring that speaker in, you know, I think there's, there's like a, there's a stickiness to having a, being a nice, you know, pleasant place to work that nurtures people and, and, and helps them grow. And I can't quantify, you know, how much additional time that gives us, but, you know, if we take everyone who is going to be a two-year attrition and turn them into a three-year attrition, that's a huge win as an organization in terms of productivity, the amount we spend on recruiting. So it's not quantifiable necessarily because I don't get to ask everyone, hey, if we suck to work out, when would you have left? Well, I guess um, you could do an A-B split. Like, okay, this director, here's how we want you to run your org. We want to make it miserable. <laughs> and we're going right. to compare attrition over two years. Right. We'll randomize you into the terrible group, <laughs> the good group. Um, but but anyway, I think that's I think that's what it buys us, is it buys us, you know, being an organization that, that can recruit great engineers and can retain great engineers. Got it. Now, does this impact your hiring process at all in terms of the kind of traits you're looking for? It doesn't, at least not explicitly. Um, you know, we still, I, I think one of the reasons for that is that we don't need everyone to be a top-notch cultural uh, cultural performer and having, you know, amazing ideas. And we, we do need everyone to write good, clean code. Um, so, so you know, there is there is a difference here, right? Um, I, but I think what where it comes in is, you know, when we reverse people and they ask about, you know, about things in the organization, um, people who are attracted to an organization that supports those kind of things are maybe more attracted to, to coming to us. We already have, I think, more of an emphasis on um, like communication skills in our interview process because we are a very cross-functional organization. We don't really have engineers who go sit in the corner and make algorithms better, um, you know, quietly and secretly. We, we're all kind of um, working very cross-functionally. So I think that's a good sort of as a starting point, that's, um, that is a thing that, it, that is true to begin with. And then you kind of add in the reinforcing self-selection of who joins us. And I think we end up with a great mix. 
Um, I also want to say that not everyone starts out, you know, liking the work. Um, and so, but some people grow to be excellent at it or loving it when they, when they wouldn't have, you know, prioritized it coming in. Yeah. How do you engage with that from an onboarding perspective? Haha, -ha, you thought you were going to be a developer. Let me tell you the six other things you have to do every week. Like, how do you have that conversation? Well, it's not six other things. I think that helps. <laughs> um, you know, every, every manager is part of the kind of 30, 60, 90 plan at some point reviews our ladder and culture is in there. So that's actually, you know, another, another point for it being in the ladder is that this, this conversation is sort of forced whenever they're thinking about, um, you know, performance reviews or performance in general. So I think that is a nice little kind of forcing function there. Um, so it's not six things a week. It is kind of, you're expected to do something at some point. So let's start talking and thinking about what that, that could be. There are people who really just want to check the box and get it over with and kind of would prefer that it wasn't a thing they have to do. Um, if they really hate it, they've not been vocal to me, but, but some people get stressed about figuring it out. Um, especially when there aren't as many kind of worker bee things to go around, there's not as many kind of hands needed. Um, the pandemic has been weird. Um, you know, we, it has changed the distribution of work and what kinds of things we need. Um, so, you know, I think that that can be a stressor that we always have to adapt to and think about, are we being fair? Do people have opportunities? Uh, but it hasn't resulted in any mass mutinies that, that I'm aware of uh, or any like, you know, bait and switch feelings uh, when people arrive. That's great. So, so we talked about people who maybe are a little less comfortable with it. How do you reward the the people who are more comfortable with it? The ones who with culture work just kind of go above and beyond. How do you engage with that? Well, I think we have to recognize it as something that improves the organization and should be treated as such, right? So if someone, um, you know, figures out an amazing design for your system that makes it easier to maintain and saves you engineering time in the future, you, you reward it um, you reward it with promotion, you reward it with a different additional comp. Um, on the culture side, we don't, we don't think that, you know, running an amazing hackathon necessarily means that you've figured out, you know, good testing. And so it doesn't mean you're necessarily a next level engineer, but it does mean you've done something that makes our company better. And we should, we should recognize that. And we should recognize that in comp. Um, so we do try to, to provide some sort of concrete, <laughs> um, response. The other thing I want to say is that, um, we're trying out kind of other, what is it, what is a non-monetary way to reward and, and say thank you to people? So for example, last year, um, I took a bunch of the, uh, the group of people who were at the sort of top influencer level. Um, we did a, a really nice lunch um, with leadership. We did a, you know, a Q&A with our founders, trying to find like other ways to, to, to single out this population and say, like, and really say thank you um, in meaningful ways. So, you know, I think, I think there's lots of different ways to do it and we're still, always experimenting with with what the best is but um i think people people appreciate the recognition and it doesn't have to be you know absurd or or large or whatever to to be meaningful and impactful i think signal singling people out and saying you you did this thing and we want to thank you um really has an impact got it just out of interest you've been doing this for a while have you noticed any correlation between the people who do go above and beyond and the people who maybe appear to be destined for a lead manager director track versus maybe a principal engineer track or do you find just some amazing principal engineers who'd never want to lead a team of people but love to organize hackathons i think both so one thing that we noticed really early and you know i mentioned that our what our current ladder looks like but originally we actually tied culture to engineering level. So, you know, if we think about this in like uh, Google terms, you know, there was an L2 level, there was an L3 level of culture. And 
we ended up scrapping that because we found that actually we had a lot of junior people who came in and ran with stuff. Like we had folks do the most outstanding culture work, fresh out of school, you know, two years on the road. It didn't. So one thing I'll say is I don't think that seniority as is correlated with excellent culture work as, as maybe, you know, you might imagine off the bat. Um, I, I, I always they, wonder if it would be reverse correlated only because you're 22, you've got boundless energy and you've basically got nothing in your life other than work. It's like, well, and you have time, right? Yeah. You don't, you're not, you're not responsible for other humans. You're not in meetings all day. Right. So there is a time com component here where like, yeah, if, if your day is coding, you know, nine to five, then yeah, you can afford an hour, two hours a week to, to do something and, and make it great. You know, I, so I think there is a component there. Um, so, so there are, so there are surprises in that way. And, and I do think there are also times that someone seems curmudgeonly, the curmudgeonly principal engineer who doesn't want to do this, and then they find their passion, right? Um, you know, they really hate that we do whiteboard interviews. So how, you know, how can they convince us that we shouldn't do whiteboard interviews? I love that. Like, I want, I want that, you know, please, please, you know, fix the things that you think are broken. Um, that said, there is definitely a correlation between, you know, people who see themselves on the manager track or are managers who are passionate about people problems and, you know, are looking and seeing the problems we're having and wanting to solve them. That's great. So it sounds like something for everybody. Something for everyone. You know, I think there, like I said, there are still the people who like want to check the box and be done with it. And I, I think that's, that's okay too. <laughs> well, you need somebody to load those buses up at six o'clock in the morning. We do. We do. Well, not right now, but hopefully in, <laughs> in another year. Back when people are like <laughs> sitting on buses again. Yeah. And then I guess just to wrap this up. So, what would be your recommendations? Let's say somebody's like, this sounds great. I mm -hmm. want to do it. What are the what are the artifacts? What are the processes? What do you actually need to put in place if you're a director of like a 50-person org and you, you want to get this started? I mean, I think we came to a happy accident with, with the culture. Not to say that it wasn't very intentionally included in the latter, but the fact that I think what we've learned is a sort of a standard accountability rule, which is what you measure and what you call out is what you get more of, even, even without any explicit rewards or incentives. So the biggest thing I would say is if you wanna start encouraging more culture work in your organization, I think some method of assessing and like recognizing in a formal way what people's contributions are, even if it's not tied to anything about the way you promote or, or compensate or anything, I think that starts to get at it in the same way when you measure your AWS bill and you realize that you're spending, you know, $500,000 a year on your, on your, you know, S, you know, S3 or whatever. And you're like, Oh, should I, should I use Glacier? Like just, just seeing it, you know, tells you, you know, it helps, help spark that like, Oh, I could do this or, or this could be a thing. So that, that feels like ground zero to me of really getting it installed in the organization. Cause I guarantee every organization has people doing this. Um, maybe it's only managers and directors, but, but I'm guessing it's in a lot of places. It's not, there's other people who are stepping up. So, you know, I think, I think formalizing it and saying, this is a thing that you're going, we're going to measure uh, and report on is, is a first step. That's great. Well, Kat, so thank many thanks for taking the time today to share your wisdom and your experiences with the CTL connection community. Very much appreciated. So happy to be here. Thank you. All right. And thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, I look forward to connecting with you at future Short Bites, Summits, and on the community platform we'll be launching in early 2021. For more information about everything we're working on, please check us out at ctlconnection.com. Have a great day. Thank you.